Well, good morning. I'm glad to see all you folks here today. Uh, Today is the final message in the series, Two Masters. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, why did he say that? Why did Jesus, the Son of God, why did Jesus, who came from heaven, why did Jesus, who had so much important things to teach in that short window of time that he was here on earth, why did Jesus say, you cannot serve both God and money? I believe it's for this reason. Because money is an attractive substitute for God. Money is an attractive false God. Money and the things that money can buy will be the number one competitor for your hearts. We've said that probably in every message. But here's the problem. You see, money promises what only God can provide. For example, money promises happiness. You see, if you can get a big enough stack, you'll be happy. You may not be satisfied with the stack that you have right now. But if you can get your stack to grow, or if you can get some more stacks, then you're going to be happy. Because if you can get a bigger stack, then you can live in that that other neighborhood. If you can get a bigger stack, then you can get a different car. If you can get a bigger stack, then you can join that club. If you can just get a bigger stack or some other stacks, you're finally going to get what you need in order to be happy. Money not only promises happiness, money also promises security. The thought is something like this. If I had a little more in my stack, then we wouldn't have to worry about anything. Honey, if we can just hang on, if we can work a little bit longer, work a little bit harder, if we can save a little bit more, if we can just get a little bit more in our stack, we won't have to worry about anything. I I know, I know I ought to be in church on Sunday, but honey, I can get time and a half working on the weekends. If I can just get a little bit more in our stack, we won't have to worry about anything. Money makes some promises that it can't deliver. You see, here's what I want you to understand in this last message. Every Christian, every Christian has the potential to get sidetracked by their stack. Every Christian. We all have the potential to let money be our master. You don't need to turn to this text, but for example... Jesus in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 22, Jesus said this, listen. He said, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. He hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. Jesus warned about the deceitfulness of the stack. The deceitfulness of just trying to get some more in your stack. So how do we fight that? Here's what we're going to learn today. I want you to understand that God's grace not only frees us from our sins, it also frees us from ourselves. I want you to say that with me. God's grace, say that with me, God's grace not only frees us from our sins, it also frees us from ourselves. Now, let me see if you can sit together with me without stopping, and I won't let, maybe it'll, it'll stick. Say it with me. God's grace not only frees us from our sins, it also frees us from ourselves. You see, I believe it is the grace of God that motivates us 
and the grace of, live, or grace of giving. Apostle Paul makes that case for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, would you open God's word to 2 Corinthians chapter 8? I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to try to give you the context after I've read it to help you perhaps understand a little bit deeper. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace, notice that word, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, but he tells them about the grace, something that God's been doing in the Macedonian churches. And here's what it is, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, that doesn't even make sense. But we're going to talk about that, so we'll come back to it. Verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us, in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace. There's that word again, on your part. But just as you exceed in everything, or excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, let me give you the context of what we've just read and perhaps help you understand it a little bit deeper. One of the major ministries of Paul's third missionary journey was taking up a special offering for the poor Christians in Judea. You can read about it in Acts chapter 11. Uh, We won't take the time to read that, but in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, it talks about this severe famine that hit the land. And it was especially hard and difficult in Judea. And the Christians in Judea went through a, a very troublesome time. And Paul, on his third missionary journey, his heart was to help the Christians in Judea. He wanted the offering to strengthen the unity between the the Gentile churches in Macedonia and the Jewish churches, Christians, in Jerusalem and Judea. And so in in Paul's Paul's mind, these churches in Macedonia, if they can give and help the brothers in Judea, it will strengthen the unity of the church. So Paul, in his third missionary journey, without hesitation, made it one of his primary objectives to collect a large offering that would be sent to the brothers in Judea to help them during this time of famine and hardship. Now, the Corinthians, the people that Paul is writing to, unfortunately, they were not doing their part in this offering. Like many people, they had made promises to give, they intended to give, they planned to give, they told Paul they would give. But a year later, very little had come in. A year after their pledges and their promises, they had not followed through. They had not given very much. Now, I'm sure they had good intentions. Uh, uh, They just didn't act on those intentions. And so for an entire year, uh, that time was wasted. And 
little if any money came in. I, I don't know why they did not follow through. Perhaps, perhaps the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of this life choked out the Word of God in their heart. So Paul told the church in Corinth about what God was doing in the churches of Macedonia. Here was his plan. Writing to the church at Corinth, he said, well, well, let me tell you about these other churches. Let me tell you what God's doing in them, trying to motivate the church at Corinth by what God had done and is doing in the churches in Macedonia. He used the example to teach the Corinthians and us that giving is a result of the grace of God working in our hearts. Oh, make sure you hear that, Mount Airy. Giving is the result of the grace of God working in our hearts. And there's some undeniable signs when our giving is motivated by the grace of God. Here's the first one. Grace allows us to give in spite of our circumstances. Verses 1 through 4, Paul makes it very plain and very clear that grace enables us to give in spite of our circumstances. Now remember, Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth about the things that God was doing in the Macedonian churches. I've said that two or three times, but it's critical that you understand that. Now, according to Acts chapter 16 and 17, the Macedonian churches that Paul was referring to were the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And Paul used those three churches as an example of how to give in spite of your circumstances. Now, he describes these three churches with these words. They were very poor people. And he says in verse 2, notice how he describes them in verse 2, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, in rich generosity. Notice he describes them going through not just a trial, but a severe trial. And notice also that they endured not just poverty, but extreme poverty. Now look up here for a moment. I want you to see something. We would put it this way. Their stack was very small. They were going through severe trials and extreme poverty, and their stack was very, very small. In fact, you wouldn't expect this church to give anything. You wouldn't expect these people to give anything, much less to give generously. But their circumstances did not hinder them from giving. In fact, they gave joyfully and they gave liberally. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, everybody hear this. There is no computer in the world that can compute the, what happened here. Because here's kind of the formula. Severe trial plus extreme poverty plus grace equals rich generosity. There's, there's no way to compute that. There's no way to logically think through that. But once again, look with me in verses 2 and 3. Let's walk through the text. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. The key to understanding that verse is this. They gave, listen, they gave beyond their ability but not beyond God's ability. I want you to hear something. God's ability is greater than ours. But many never experience that truth. The reason they never experience that truth is because money has become their master. The stack is what they're committed to. They're trying to get more in the stack. 
Now, you see, there's three levels of giving. You can give less than you're able to give. You can give as much as you're able to give. You figure it out and say, this is what we can afford. Or you can give beyond what you're able to give. The Bible calls that third option grace giving. It's in verse 7. Don't take my word for it. Chapter 8, verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See, grace giving is not based on what's in my bank account. It's based upon what's in my heart. Now, I'm trying to make this as personal, as practical as I can, so let me pause and let me give you a personal example from from our lives, my life, Lisa and I, from our life and our, our, our situation. You know that we're raising money from Mount Airy Makeover. And our goal is to raise at least $255,000. Uh, and our hallelujah goal would be over $400,000 as a church to renovate this building uh, and other facilities, which are desperately needed. And, and I really, really believe in Mount Airy Makeover. And we're, we gave to Mount Airy Makeover actually today. But hear my heart on this. Even though we gave today, we plan to give throughout the next several months. Today was just our first gift, but we want to give more. But can I be real honest with you? Can I be real transparent with you? Everybody look up here for a moment. Can I be real honest and transparent with you? Our stack is pretty low right now. It has nothing to do with our pay has nothing to do with that. Here's what it's due to. It has to do with two terrifying words. College tuition. I just don't have any stacks left. You see, here's the problem. Lisa and I didn't plan this very well, but this is the way it worked out. We've got three kids, and they were, they're so close together. That they're not really that close, but they're about three years apart, roughly. And the way it's worked out with these three kids is that we've had at least one, sometimes two, but at least one child in college since 2006. You do the math, that's nine years. And Jonathan is a rising junior, which means I've still got two more years to go. Which means by the time Jonathan graduates, we will have had children in co- kids in college for 11 years. Every semester for 11 years saying, how do we pay tuition this semester? Because there's just so much in the stack. I don't know if you've sent anybody to college lately. I want to tell you something about it. Let let me use some Tennessee English. It ain't cheap. In fact, I'll tell you this. This stack, this is all ones, by the way. That's all I could afford. This stack would not even buy one textbook for most semesters. So we just did a lousy job of planning for college, saving for college, just to be very transparent. We did a lousy job of saving for college. In fact, I think, if I remember correctly, what we had saved for college was gone in the first semester. So we've been at this now for nine years, got two years to go. And then once Jonathan graduates, guess what? We've got two other terrifying words to face. Student loans. We don't even want to go there. Because my grandkids will be in college before I get these student loans paid off. Here's all I'm trying to say. 
our stack just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller, especially when it turns to August or January. Another semester, we've got to try to find out a way to pay for it. So, now, just trying to be very transparent. I've been asking myself for a while now, how can we do more than what we're able to do? How can we give more than what we're able to give? We gave a gift today. But how can we give more in the months ahead? So we've identified two or three areas where we think we can find some way to, to do, do more than what we're able to do, to give more than what we're able to give. Uh, for example, and I'm telling you about one of them for a reason, uh, one of those is this week we'll be canceling our house telephone. You see, I'm paying AT&T good money every month to have telemarketers call me. It makes no sense to keep giving them that money. And so what we're going to do is we're going to cancel our home phone, and then we can start using that, that bit of money every month to, to keep giving to Mount Airy Makeover. So how are we going to reach it? I'm going to put my cell phone in, in, the, uh, uh, in the bulletin. If you want it now, it's 864-230-5882. Don't call me right now, but you can call me or text me later. 864-230-5882. It'll be in the bulletin. You can call or text me. We, we found another area where, where we're going to make an adjustment, where we, uh, this week, as a matter of fact, we, we're able to cut our satellite dish, the, the cost of that, in half. And that frees up a little bit more money that we can give over the next several months uh, to, so we can give more to Mount Airy Makeover. Uh, we're just looking for areas like that. What is it that we can cut or change or cancel or whatever? You know, how can we make adjustments so that we can give more than we're able to give? We, we've identified another area, and all I'll say about that is we've identified an item that is significant that, that we're going to put up for sale. And if it sells, then I'm going to be able to give a, a bigger gift to Mount Airy Makeover and to the Lord. Now, if it doesn't sell, of course, I can't give it. But, but I'm going to put it up for sale. I'm going to pray it does sell. And, and then I'll be able to give a bigger gift to Mount Airy Makeover. I'm just looking for ways where I can give more than I'm able to give. Because I really believe in what we're doing. I really believe in Mount Airy Makeover. I really believe that it is essential for us to have facilities that look well so that when we reach people who are far from God, they're not looking around saying, look at this carpet. Instead, they're listening to the Word of God. And so I, I want to do all that I can to help make that a reality. I'm trying to find ways to do that. Maybe, maybe you've got something that you can do like that too. And I'm not going to try to tell you what it is, but maybe there's something you can cancel or maybe there's something you can change. Maybe there's something that's just collecting dust that you can sell. Maybe there's a piece of property and you're not really using it. It's just sitting out there. You could sell it for the kingdom. I don't know what it is, but what could you do to give more than you're able to give? Listen to this in verse 4. Giving beyond my ability does not depend upon my circumstances. It really has more to do with what's in my heart. Giving beyond my ability does not depend upon my circumstances. It really has more to do with what's in my heart. I found that in verse 4 where he says, starting in the second half of verse 3, he says, Entirely on their own. Nobody twisted their arm. Nobody guilted them in it. Nobody made them feel bad if they didn't. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Their stack was so small, but entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded 
for the opportunity to take part in that offering. How many times have you heard a Christian beg somebody to take up an offering? But that's what they were doing. The Macedonian churches needed no prompting. They, they needed no pleading. They, they simply did that. Their giving was voluntary and spontaneous. It was because of grace, not because of pressure. It was what I call irrational generosity. You might want to write that down somewhere, maybe in the column of your Bible. It was irrational generosity. Listen to verse 2. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Ladies and gentlemen, that is irrational generosity. That's what they had. Irrational generosity. Where do you suppose they got that idea? Where do you suppose they came up with this concept of irrational generosity? I think it's because they experienced that from God. You see... We sometimes refer to grace as God's unmerited favor. Can I give you another definition for grace? Grace is God's irrational generosity towards us. It is irrational that the Son of God would leave heaven. It is irrational that that He would leave all the joys and the glories of heaven to come to a place in in the universe called earth. It is irrational that He would experience persecution and pain and and. Death. It is irrational that he would experience the weight of my sin. It is irrational that he would be a sacrifice for sinners. It is irrational generosity. It's grace. Paul points to that in verse 9. Look at it. Paul says, For you know the grace, there's that word, the irrational generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... He was in the glories of heaven. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know why the Macedonian Christians gave what they gave? You know why they gave beyond what they were able to give? You know why they they had demonstrated irrational generosity? It's because they had experienced irrational generosity from God. See, I really believe grace enables you to give beyond your circumstances. Look at verse 7 one more time. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Grace not only frees us from our sins, it also frees us from ourselves. Because you and I are just alike when we see the stack We see the stack. We all have the, at least the potential to let the stack be in charge of what we do. The irrational generosity of God, the grace of God, the irrational generosity of God should not only open your heart, it should also open your hand. That is what the Macedonian Christians had experienced. They had experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And it not only opened their heart, it also opened their hand. 
But there's one other thing that we need to look at before we leave, and that is this. That kind of giving, that is giving beyond your ability, begins with you giving your life to God. See, it says in verse 5, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves... What's that next word, church? They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us, in keeping with God's will. You have to give your life to God before you're really ready to give your money to Him. Does that make sense to anybody? That, that before you're really able to say, God, hey, here you go, what, what, where's the need, what's the need? Before you're ready to do that, before you're willing to, to let go of the stack or to take some out of the stack, before you're willing to do that, you first have to make sure you've given your life to God. And that's what the Macedonian Christians did. The biggest thing about Mount Airy Makeover may not be the amount of money that we raise. The biggest thing about Mount Airy Makeover may not be the, the facilities and how we transform them and how nice it looks. The biggest thing about Mount Airy Makeover may be that you can point back to this season in the life of our church and say, that was when it happened. That's when I decided I can't have two masters. That's when I truly gave my life to God. That's when I made Jesus Lord. See, if this principle makes any sense to you at all, you need to understand that if God really is Lord of me, then He is Lord of everything I have. But if if, if He is not Lord of me, then I will do my very best to protect what I have. You see, giving isn't just a financial decision. Stewardship gets right to the center of whether or not we have truly committed ourselves to the Lord. Now, this was such an important issue I want you to understand, this is such an important issue that Paul not only wrote about it in chapter 8, he also continued to write about it in chapter 9. So let's, we're not going to read, we don't have time to read the whole chapter. Let's just skip to chapter 9, verse 6, and we'll read a few verses before we leave. Remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also Reap generously. Each man, notice what he says in verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not because you feel guilty or because somebody's going to ask you. Not because a preacher pressured you. Not because somebody's twisting your arm. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when he's the center of your heart and you can give with joy, not with reluctance. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that they need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I wish we had time to read the whole chapter and talk about it, but let's just skip down to the end of the chapter, verse 15. 
Again, Paul's writing about this offering in chapter 8 and, and in chapter 9. That's how important it is. And he, he ends the chapter in verse 15 this way. Thanks be to God for his indescribable. What's that last word? Gift. Paul describes this gift as indescribable. I think without doing any, without any hesitation, we could say really what he's talking about is this. He's talking about the irrational generosity of Christ coming in this earth, to this earth, and dying for our sins. Thanks be to God for His Son, His gift, too wonderful for words. You see, whatever we give to God for Mannery Makeover, I'll tell you something. Whatever we sacrifice, Lisa and I, is going to pale in comparison to what God has given us. Hell in comparison. First things first, let's make sure we have first given ourselves to God. Amen? Let me pray with you. Would you bow your heads? I want to talk to you for a moment, pray with you. I'm praying that whether in this invitation or, or at your house, wherever it may be, that you will wrestle with this question. What is really Lord in my life? Is it the stack or is it Jesus? What's really most important? Now, I know you can talk a good talk. I, we, we all can. I know you know the right answer. We all do. But I hope that you will wrestle with this question. What really is most important? Is it the stack? Or is it my Savior? Dear Lord, I pray that regardless of what we give to Mount Airy Makeover, that we will first give ourselves to you. I pray that that will be our heart, that will be our desire. I pray that will be our driving force, our motivation. May you help us remember the irrational generosity you have given to us through Jesus. And today, I pray for anyone who has yet to make that commitment to Christ. They've yet to experience that irrational generosity. May today be that day when they say yes to Christ and yes to Jesus. And Lord, perhaps there's somebody else that needs to recommit their heart to you because the stack has become pretty important in their life. We know we need money. We know that it's okay to work for it and to earn it and to save it. Uh, Lord, we understand that, but, but also deep down in our hearts, we know. We know which one we're pursuing the most. So may we respond to your voice 
and to your leadership. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.